Welcome to Yes Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations and about the theory, process and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, your host today and always, and your friendly local indie enthusiast. This week we're talking to actual play superstar and all-round indie supremo, one-shot network director James D'Amato. As well as discussing his upcoming book about world-building, we talk about Campaign Skyjacks and about Courier's Call, my current favourite actual play podcast. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. So today we're talking to James D'Amato. Hi there, James, and welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, heroes. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. No problem. When I saw that you were doing interviews for podcasts, I thought, well, there's no way I can deny the call of this guy. So (laughs) I thought that would be a pretty good opportunity to talk to you. Would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in the indie tabletop role-playing game scene? Of course. Uh, My name is James D'Amato. I am... uh, I guess first and foremost, a podcaster. I host the One Shot and Campaign Skyjacks podcasts, and I am the president of the One Shot Podcast Network, where we have a host of different actual play and interview and discussion shows about role-playing games. Uh, Because One Shot sort of launched the network, uh, and that's a show where we have a rotating cast of like performers and comedians playing all sorts of different role-playing games, uh, we have a real focus on the indie side of tabletop. You know, we, we've featured popular role-playing games on, on our shows, certainly by big publishers, but the bulk of what we do is kind of feature smaller games that uh, are off the beaten path and hopefully give them a platform to find a new audience. The other half of my job is I write the Ultimate RPG Guide series for uh, Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Uh, There's sort of a a, a smattering of content that you can get from there. Uh, Some of it are guides for you to use as a player or game master to sort of enhance your game experience, uh, helping you learn some of the basics of of storytelling through a medium of role-playing with the gameplay guide or expanding on your character backstories with the backstory guide or uh, discovering brand new games and game designers through the Ultimate Micro RPG book. So I do a lot in tabletop and a lot of it is on the indie side of tabletop. Yeah, absolutely. And like that focus on indie and small games and small creators is one of the things I love most about One Shot. You've been putting lesser known games out into the void as high quality, extremely good actual plays for what, like five and a half, six years? Um, We are seven going on eight right now, actually. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> it's easy to lose count, especially after this year. I, there are several times I had to stop and ask myself, how long have I been doing this? Uh, because, you wow. know, 2020 was a blur. That's such it a long time. It is a long time. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little bit, well, like a very brief history of One Shot and the network as well? Sure thing. Uh, One Shot started because I, I was already a podcaster at that point. I was doing an improv podcast with a buddy of mine, Alex Manich, who you might recognize uh, through different One Shot productions. We were on a different network at the time called Peaches and Hot Sauce, which was a general sort of Chicago comedy improv focused uh, podcasting network. And the head of that network, Patrick O'Rourke, approached me because he knew I played tabletop role playing games. 
And he was listening to, at the time, a show on, I think it was the Earwolf Network called Nerd Poker uh, that was run by Brian Posehn. And he's like, hey, I really like this show and I like role-playing games. I know you play them. Could you develop a show like this for Peaches and Hot Sauce? You know, I had been playing role-playing games for years and I had always sort of been of the opinion that, you know, you can't export the experience of role playing, that like a big part of it is that you're actively doing it and participating in it. And so there is no way to like record or capture the the fun of what's happening at that table. But like undeniably, I was wrong. Like here was somebody doing it in the form <laughs> of a podcast. Uh, so it's like, OK, what's out there? What, what what are people doing with this? And I, you know, listened around to a bunch of different shows that were happening at the time. This was really before the advent of streaming. So most of it was either podcasts or YouTube productions. And the vast majority of them were either playing D&D or Pathfinder. Yeah. And I had the good fortune of my like experience of role playing games in college was we were at a club where people brought all sorts of different games to the table. And, you know, I I thought I had a very like diverse experience of tabletop at that time. But, you know, I had been playing things like Shadowrun and Feng Shui and and GURPS and and Seventh Sea. And like I thought at that time, oh, that that was like very diverse and, 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 you know, very, very well like uh, traveled. I had really no idea how amazing <laughs> and incredible and, and complex and, and different the RPG scene was at that time. But I was like, because I like all of these games that are not the standard fantasy adventuring game, I kind of wanted to share that, share what my experience of role playing games was and like how different and amazing and individualistic they could be. So I came up with the concept for one shot where we would run, you know, self-contained adventures in as many different role playing systems as possible to give people a a place to see and discover new games to sort of step outside the fantasy adventuring sphere or, or, you know, at least be a show out there that was offering a different genre experience for for role playing. And you know, it was a big journey of discovery for me because once I started looking beyond the games that I had played in college, you know, I realized the definition of, of what a role playing game could be and the sort of content that it could address and, and the mechanics that you could use to tell a story were incredible and, and so different uh, than the sort of traditional dice and and character sheets games that I had been playing. And, you know, very quickly in that first year of one shot, I I learned a lot of important things. Uh, One of them being there's absolutely no way that I would ever be able to feature the full depth and breadth of what this hobby can offer. And, you know, here I am seven years later uh, in August, it will be eight years later uh, still featuring new games that uh, blow my mind. And, uh, you know, it feels like I am making a new discovery every time I sit down to play. I mean, there must be dozens of new role-playing games written every day. So, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you're never going to catch up with it. <laughs> it's really exciting. I think it's a really exciting time to be in the indie scene as well because you've got, like, itch and self-publishing through DTRPG and people oh, yeah. just, like, making games and putting them on their website. 
I just think it's super exciting to be a part of the scene at the moment. It's podcasts like yours that I think really help the scene and um, show people what's possible, like you said, with, with role-playing games and with actually playing them as well. So a big shout out to you and all the other actual play podcasters out there for <laughs> highlighting yeah. all of these cool games for us. I, I do like to think that we we contribute to the scene and like I am very oh, happy definitely. to say, you know, these days, like we're definitely not the only kids on the block doing this sort of thing. There are so many wonderful actual plays and and discussion shows and, uh, you know, many different productions of different types uh, that, that are doing this sort of work. And I think overall that that makes games so much more accessible and, you know, it helps people find an audience. It helps people, you know, have their voices heard when they go through, you know, the, the difficult creative work of, of making a new game. I, I just think it's all lovely and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Fantastic. Well, I'm really heartened to hear that because that's definitely the experience that I have. I'm definitely more into role playing games from listening to actual play shows such as uh one shot in your experience then what what do you think makes for a good system for actual play podcasts uh you know it, it is a hard thing to define what makes a good system because one thing that people will say about their favorite systems uh is that you know you can use this system to play anything and in a sense that is true you know role-playing games are controlled by the people playing them and so they can be made flexible to, to do different things and fit different experiences. So I do mm. think that, uh, you know, D&D as a game, I, I would say, is not especially well crafted for actual play. However, it is the role playing system that is at the center of some of the most popular actual plays. If you look, <laughs> looking beyond the walls of the one shot network, if you're looking at Critical Role, the Adventure Zone, Dimension 20, all of these productions use D&D, which it's a fine game. A lot of people have a lot of fun with mm -hmm. it. I don't think it is the best for performance, but you can certainly get a really good performance out of it. Like a lot of it sort of leans on the creatives at the table and what they do with the material presented to them. That said, you know, if I'm thinking about designing a game to work with actual play, I want something that has mechanics that help people create compelling narratives that allow people the space to improvise and make surprising and creative decisions. You need a game that knows how to make space and get out of the way. I really like Powered by the Apocalypse games or belonging outside belonging slash no dice no masters games they have in them rules that sort of deal with narrative mechanics and yeah you can make a roll through a move or or you know spend a, a point on something in a no dice no masters that will create really compelling narrative consequences for your decisions and in that, that is structured to support people and, you know, challenge them to make fun and creative decisions. And I, I think that works really well. I deal in podcasting. A lot of the content that I do is edited. So if there is a system that is really crunchy and there is a lot of rolling and basic math that plays out in it, you know, we can cut that and bring you right to the results. Uh, for streams, you know, I think streams really do benefit from a, a lighter touch system that doesn't have mechanics that can like take up time and, and, and create dead air. But, you know, really, it is what you make of the world. I 
prefer to play storytelling games and games that have that lighter experience, but people can do all sorts of wild things. You know, one of the first shows that I listened to was Crit Juice and they used uh, D&D 4E, which... Oh, the crunchiest. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that I would ever choose that uh, to, to do an actual play, but like Crit Juice was really fun. So, you know, you can you can do it with lots of stuff. It is, yeah, very dependent on the performers and the actors. And uh, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for a lightweight game, certainly. But you had a very diplomatic answer there, so <laughs> I should follow suit. I think one of the systems that I have listened to be played on several networks is the Genesis system, which I know mm. is, is behind what you've used on campaign and campaign skyjacks so do you want to lean into a little bit about what makes genesis a good system from your point of view for a for a campaign uh sure genesis is published by fantasy flight games and it is a role-playing system that does in a lot of ways resemble a traditional role-playing system you know you have core stats and skills uh that come together to present you with you know what your character's roles are going to be you know it's a little bit like shadow run in that you know you're taking those core ability scores combining it with those skills and producing a dice pool uh that you roll for any given situation yeah however like stepping outside of all of that the roles are done with these dice that have different symbols on them instead of numbers and the symbols are designed to produce non-binary results for any role that you're doing. So you have a system for determining success and failure where you'll roll dice and there will be a certain number of symbols that will appear uh, and those count to your success column. And you measure those against any failure symbols. Uh, whichever one wins out is what happens. And if they neutral out, you know, you, you, you fail. You know, with that, there's not a lot of math involved. You're just like canceling things out until one produces more than the other. Yeah. In addition to that, there are symbols that represent advantages and disadvantages. They, they call them advantages and threats. The advantages and threats uh, create results for your roles that are kind of related to what you're doing, but don't just determine success or failure. Yeah. Which means you can succeed and have something bad happen still, or you can fail, but have something good happen. Yeah. For example, you know, if you are trying to crack a safe, you can successfully roll to unlock the safe. But if you have a disadvantage or, or a threat, uh, you might trigger an alarm system. Yeah. Or, you know, if you are in a fight, you might, you know, take a swing at, at your opponent with, with a punch, not manage to hit them but get an advantage so they're put in a precarious or, or dangerous uh, position. Yeah. Maybe they lose their balance and they're suddenly like dangling over the edge of a cliff or something. On top of all of that, you have triumphs and despairs, which are basically your critical failure and success. And in those circumstances, you know, you can critically succeed while also failing at your task. Uh, and the ultimate result of all of this is it, provides you very complex and surprising results for the things that you're doing. Yeah. And because it's definitely. just canceling out symbols, it can as soon as you learn, you know, the symbol system which a lot of people complain about, but like once you get it <laughs> down, it produces these results very quickly. And that's yeah. what I like about it. Uh, I like that, you know, if you want, yeah. you can still play a very mechanical and crunchy game with it. 
engaging with like lots of the tactical mechanics that you might find in a D&D or a shadow run or what have you. But you can also play in a very story heavy space with all of that. Yeah. And, you know, do whatever interpretation you want within the narrative instead of within mechanics. I like it a lot for that. It is what I would call a medium crunchy system. Yeah. But, you know, it's one that I've been using for years and uh, I I know how to use it pretty well at this point to do what I want to do. I mean, you have been using it for a long time because you started out with Campaign, which was originally a Star Wars campaign, and moved on to Skyjacks, which is kind of an incredible exercise in world building and storytelling. Do you want to give us a little bit of an elevator pitch as to the world of Skyjacks itself? Sure. Uh, So with Skyjacks, we are telling an anti-colonial narrative in a world where there are sky pirates who, you know, sail on these ships uh, that, that, that fly through the sky. And we based our world building off of the music of the Decemberists and a game designed by Keith Baker in collaboration with the Decemberists called Illimat. Right. So there's a lot of like thematic inspiration that we took from folk tales that the Decemberists, you know, wrote their music about and the general themes of their music. We also took inspiration from, you know, historical piracy and classic adventure fiction like Treasure Island. The ultimate result is like this kind of folktale punk world full of like yearning for adventure, but like the very real threat of capitalism and colonialism and sort of struggling against forces that are larger than you to find uh, a little bit of freedom and independence for yourself i mean it's more than an elevator pitch but it's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i I guess i guess uh the elevator pitch is it it is a folktale punk world inspired by the music of the decemberists absolutely and it is really fantastic to listen to i am as i said earlier a few dozen episodes behind but it is pretty brilliant and like i really genuinely encourage everyone to go and listen to it and pick it up from the beginning because it's extremely interesting with what you've done like combining those those themes from the music like you said and also the board game Illimat which is very cool actually I saw it um, played in a game shop like a year and a half ago or something yeah and all the other elements that you're throwing in there as well but also like the elements you're coming up with like the new stuff as well it's just very interesting to listen to and very different to a lot of the other podcasts that you you hear out there so yeah kudos to you and your team because it's pretty fantastic thank you very much i mean one of the true delights of doing skyjacks is one of the things that i find delightful about role-playing games in general in that it is a collaborative work uh you know yeah i i definitely take on a, a lot of work in world building and developing the setting but i am absolutely not alone in that you know Everybody at the table has made really incredible decisions that have led to wonderful world discoveries that have made the show so much better. We're also working with people like our our musician, Arnie Parrott, who writes original music for the setting from the perspective that the music that he's writing are songs that exist within the world. So the lyrics that he writes reflect the themes of the world. But, you know, they also help shape it. They, they create locations and characters and stories in this universe uh, that help develop the story that we're telling yeah. on the air. And not only that, our sound designer, Casey Tony, 
you know, ma- makes contributions to the world in how he presents what we do. And, you know, layered on top of all of that uh, to develop this world and really get a sort of multicultural and multi-perspective world. Because like, you know, me and my team can't produce something that really everybody can see themselves in because honestly, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to do a lot of that stuff. So uh, we hire freelancers to create certain sections of the world, developing cities and businesses, ships and, and factions and whatnot to fold into the world and really give the world of Sphere, which is the setting for Skyjacks, a diverse perspective uh, that makes it feel alive. All of that collaboration makes everything that we're doing stronger. You know, nobody could do anything like this alone. And I'm just so happy with the results of everyone working together and making something as beautiful and complex as this world. And I think you've really achieved it because when you listen, it sounds so cosmopolitan. Even like the tiny little backwater towns that you visit are alive with super real, super interesting characters and stories that that really come alive when you start playing through them. So it's really heartening to hear that you are doing so much world building and lore exercise behind the scenes. But when it's played out, it's played out absolutely wonderfully. Like kudos to all of your voice actors as well, because they do a fantastic job. I am so blessed to be working with, with such talented people. Liz, Johnny, Tyler, and and JPC really turned in tremendous performances over the last couple of years. And none of us knew exactly what this was going to be when we started out. You know, the first campaign was a Star Wars campaign. We were working in somebody else's world and universe, and we were mostly all comedians at that table. And so a lot of it was parody, but there was real heart uh, in, in that story. Yes. When we sort of stepped outside the space of, okay, we're playing with somebody else's IP and we're developing our own, the comedy is still there. Like, we're never not going to be a, a funny show. But there is a lot of earnest creativity uh, that that goes into the Skyjacks universe that I I think is maybe a little bit more precious to us uh, and I think challenges us and pushes us in in ways that we don't anticipate where, you know, Johnny and Liz have led such fantastic dramatic scenes and, you know, Tyler has dived into, you know, building the backstory of this character and you know, really struggling emotionally with what a 15-year-old put in the circumstances that his characters put in what would be like and, and how these events would affect him. Yeah. They've really, you know, enthusiastically taken on such challenging work and I, I think done a tremendous job with it. I 100% agree. And once again, if you haven't heard it, then go and check out Skyjacks and also the Skyjacks spin-off series, which is um, something I started listening to recently, Courier's mm, Call. Yeah. It's very, very cool. <laughs> I deeply love Courier's Call as well. Like I, I loved the challenge of taking the world that we had built, which you know, has a lot of challenging content into in it, like very, yeah, very it difficult content in it and developing a version of it that would be inviting and exciting for children to listen to. That's our all ages. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we wanted to develop something for children and families that could still exist in the world of Sphere. And, you know, Drew, Palomi, Ali and Aaron really you know, made, I think, an incredible little universe within Sphere for the Courier service. And 
I love those stories too. I think it's really nice when you put something out into the world and then somebody says, oh, I like this so much that I'm going to make my own thing. I like it. And that's just extremely <laughs> affirming to hear. You know, it's really cool. Well, I did cheat a little bit in that I asked them to do oh, this. No. But, uh... <laughs> oh, that is cheating. <laughs> Okay, well, it's still really affirming to see how well it's uh, to how well it's turned out. You know, it's still going. After. So we are preparing for our second season right now. Okay, cool. Ho- hopefully yeah. within the next few months we'll launch a Kickstarter for season two and get rolling on funding it so we can continue the production. And as you said, it's an all ages show, which is a really neat format. Something that's kind of a, like a, a nice little niche in the um, actual play sphere. Um, I can think of two. <laughs> <laughs> which our couriers call and autonomic. I, I just like both of them so much. And my kids like autonomic. I, well. I think there is <laughs> a lot of space for, for the sort of family sort of storytelling uh, that, that can take place in actual plays. Like it is a great format and kids are very immersed in storytelling. Yeah. It's, it's a big part of their education. So I, I think it is a great thing for them to have more opportunities to engage with stuff like actual play because you know when you hear a story like this the tools to create your own are very easily within your reach if you're a kid like the difference between you know listening to a game and and playing a game is very small and i love anything that encourages kids to you know value their own creativity and and go out and try things in creative spaces so like i'm i'm hoping to see more actual plays that are geared towards younger audiences so that kids can, you know, pick up this hobby and benefit from all of the wonderful things that role playing can offer you as as a person. Absolutely. I'm really, really hoping that when they grow up, my kids will want to play role playing games with me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a constant group at the moment, so I guess I'll have to grow my own. Yeah, exactly. That was a tangent I was not expecting to hit today, but I'm so glad we did because, uh, yeah, I do think it's an interesting space that could really benefit from being explored more. Where I was going to go next was, you know, you've done so much excellent and quality world building behind uh, Skyjacks. I believe you're condensing some of that experience into a book. Yes. (laughs) That's part of the RPG Ultimate Guide. So do you want do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, we are uh, very close to releasing the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, which is the latest addition to the Ultimate RPG series published by Adams Media. And this book, uh, I, I sort of took cues from the first book that I wrote, the Ultimate Backstory Guide. In this one, we are trying to provide prompts and instructions and exercises to help people in world building their own settings. You know, there are a lot of books out there in the RPG space that will provide you with random tables to roll on or, you know, no certain little prompts for you to develop your world building. What I wanted to do is take advantage of game mechanics and give people the ability to build like complex structures to put in their own game worlds with the ease of playing a game themselves. Yeah. There are, you know, sort of traditional writing prompts in there, but there are a lot of mechanics like taken from things like Apocalypse World or other storytelling games that take the creative load off of your shoulders and 
help you develop uh, different things for your setting pretty easily. Yeah. The other side of it is I took cues from the gameplay guide that I developed and the world building guide also provides some guidance to help you play to genre better. Uh, The way we divided up this book is there are chapters for some of the most popular genres that exist in tabletop role-playing. Yeah. And we provided exercises to develop different parts, different aspects of a world within those genres. So with some of them, there there is instruction and guidance sort of helping you unpack the themes that make different genres work. You know, things like sci-fi and fantasy are big and open and, you know, you can't really tie them down with definition. But uh, things like, for example, punk is a huge genre within RPGs, but it's sort of difficult to parse, you know, like what is aesthetics and what is the core themes of this genre? So we designed the exercises to help people reinforce the themes and and capture the excitement of the aesthetics of the genre yeah. so that anything they produce from that will help be a real driver for a compelling punk setting. It sounds super, super useful um, in terms of how to build not only useful setting for game masters, but also like if you were writing your own game and you wanted to come up with the classic tropes of the genre that you're trying to that you're trying to emulate through your own world building. So yeah, like such a valid and useful text. Um, <laughs> I definitely think that it's going to be useful for people. My editor keeps saying the secret subgenre or audience that we're catering to with these books are authors who are, you know, writing their own uh, novels and, and fantasy universes and whatnot, because the structures, you know, what, what if you're building a world for a game or building a world for like a novel or a film or any other kind of story, a lot of the things you're doing mechanically are the same. So like, I I think the book definitely serves both purposes. And, you know, I just wanted to create something that provided a little bit more structural support and was geared towards people who want a more compelling prompt than just something that could randomly be determined from a list. Something that, you know, challenges you creatively with, specific and different questions and thematic choices uh to help you in your world building yeah Um, so i'm excited to see what people think of it i had a lot of fun working through the book and you know trying to create what i thought would be useful exercises to help you build things that would be a springboard for your other ideas like i said i think that's going to be a really valuable and useful tool to a lot of different people like seasoned gms as well as new gms and other people who might be interested in doing their own world building so yeah i agree with your editor actually (laughs) (laughs) one of my secrets is uh, i have a copy of the ultimate rpg gameplay guide on my desk so when i'm writing i can kind of flick through and think about things from the other end you know from the player perspective because Mm. that's one of the books you've written which has a really strong both game master and normal player role focus and like looks around the ideas of themes and mechanics and brings in aspects of improv as well and so i i do think that all of these books are super super useful and it's it's a really good idea to go and pick them up (laughs) oh thank you very much yeah i am excited about this series like i really liked doing the gameplay guide as well because i felt like at the time especially There is a lot of advice aimed at helping game masters because, you know, it's a kind of complex and intimidating role. And especially a lot of people grow up around game masters who do things that, you know, really impress them. If somebody's work as a game master is part of some of the most fun that you've ever had, 
uh, it's going to be intimidating to imagine yourself in that role. Yes, yes, definitely. Of course, there are volumes and volumes of Game Master's advice, but, you know, players are also doing really complicated and, and wonderful creative work at the table. And I think there is a lot of room for people to improve their skills as a player and look at the idea of just sitting down in the player role, in a PC role, at a gaming table as a rewarding artistic endeavor unto itself. And so the gameplay guide was kind of aimed at, you know, exploring holistically what the RPG experience is and treating it seriously as a form of artistic expression and looking at ways that, you know, we could find and create depth in our experience and quote unquote improve skills across the board to help us, you know, create more complicated narratives that, you know, might be more rewarding for you and the other people that you share a table with. They definitely do that. I think the books that I've seen that you've written, they're definitely targeted towards achieving that goal and they definitely do achieve that goal. So um, yeah, I genuinely would like my listeners to at least go and check out one of those books. Where can we find them? You know, where is the best place to buy them in terms of, I don't know, an online space? (laughs) Um, So like you can find them pretty much anywhere books are sold. Adam's media is an imprint of simon and schuster so they'll be in all of the major brick and mortar bookstores uh you know if they're not on the shelves you'll certainly be able to order them you can go to your favorite independent brick and mortar and have them order it if if they're not there yes please (laughs) You can also head to, you know, any online retailer. Maybe by the time this recording is out in the world, they might have signed copies up on the World Builders Marketplace where, you know, you'd be able to get a copy that's signed by me for, I I think, roughly the same price as MSRP. You'd be able to pick them up there and I I get a little bit of an extra kickback from that. So if you can get it that way, uh, it would definitely help me if you got it that way. Uh, But, you know, you are spoiled for options on where you can find them. Fantastic. Well, I recommend going and checking that out. (laughs) And uh, yes, I think we discussed before that this book will be out by the time that (laughs) this is released. Go and pick it up now. There are a few other guidebooks in the series as well, which is like the ultimate backstory, which you mentioned before, the ultimate RPG gameplay guide. Am I missing another one? (laughs) The last one would be the ultimate micro RPG book, which is a little bit of a black sheep for the series in that it is definitely different. Uh, The micro RPG book, instead of being a guide, is a collection of 40 different two-page role-playing games. That is very much up my street. (laughs) It it is like if you are somebody who really loves role-playing and wants to try different genres and different styles of play, I highly, highly recommend this book. I went to designers, like some designers who I had never heard of before some designers who I, you know, very know very well and am friends with some designers who I I simply look up to and, you know, just love their work within the RPG space and brought them together to to work on games for this book so that we could offer people lots of different experiences. I, I think there are definitely a handful of games that can appeal to the sensibilities of almost any gamer in that book. And through it, you'll be able to discover all sorts of wonderful experiences and styles of play. And most importantly, game designers who, you know, if you like one of the games in the book, you can go out and you can find their other work out there in the world and maybe discover your new favorite game. Yeah, 
And we are all about that here. So yeah, that does sound like a smorgasbord of indie content. So yeah, maybe go out and check that out as well while, while you're there buying the books. Kudos, definitely. The more people who buy that, the easier it's going to be to convince Simon and Schuster that role-playing games are in fact a viable uh, sales option, uh, which means more people in our industry are going to get opportunities like the one I did, which is very important to me. More competition for the for the Beach Boys. So let's get Simon <laughs> Schuster producing books. Very, very cool. James, would you like to tell us where we can find you online? Of course. If you'd like to find any of my podcasts, you can go to oneshotpodcast.com uh, where you'll be able to find my shows, One Shot and Campaign Skyjacks, uh, along with all the other wonderful shows on our network. Uh, we should also be on whichever podcasting app you prefer to get your shows through. You can search for One Shot, Campaign Skyjacks, or James D'Amato. Any of those should pull up all of my work. Then, if you'd like to find my books, like I said, they're in any big brick-and-mortar bookstore, your favorite local independent brick-and-mortar, or any online retailer you could imagine. You can also pick them up from simonandschuster.com. They're sold directly, I think, through the Adams Media website. Finally, if you want to contact me directly and ask me questions, you can do that most easily on Twitter. I am at OneShotRPG there. There we go. And if you're not already following OneShotRPG, then why not? <laughs> it doesn't make sense <laughs> at this stage. And you should definitely listen to it because it is brilliant and it has always been brilliant and remains consistently brilliant throughout oh, okay. <laughs> the nearly eight years of content that's there now. Eight years plus, I guess, if you consider Campaign Skyjacks as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. If, if they stack, but it depends on which game manual you consult if I get the stacking bonus out of that. <laughs> I think for the amount of energy and time that you put into the industry, James, you definitely get the stacking bonus for that. <laughs> and I guess all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for coming on Yes Indeed Pod and good luck with your book launch. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to people who are doing what I think I do in, in highlighting the independent game space. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to James for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Next time, another James, James Chip, who writes games about trees and plants like a wood heart. James is also fanatical about open source software and sustainable solutions for internet services, so we're going to have an interesting chat about how to make TTRPGs just a little bit greener. If you enjoy Yes Indeed Pod, please rate and review the show wherever you find your podcasts, or consider donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod. That's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-T. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. The intro music is by Gemma Hooper, and the outro music and interstitials are from BitQuest, by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and Filmmusic.io. Thank you, Kevin and Gemma. Until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed.